One of the things that have really given me hope through this whole process is that we have broken the culture of silence around sexual and gender-based violence. The Truth Commission opened the conversation for people to openly talk about the frequent occurrence of sexual and gender-based violence within Gambian societies. And that has been a great uh, achievement from the Gambia's transitional justice process. Welcome to Transitional Justice in America, a podcast from the International Coalition of Sites of Conscience. The coalition is a global network of over 350 historic sites, museums, and memory initiatives in more than 65 countries, all dedicated to using past struggles to address social injustice today. I'm your host, Purusha Naidu. I'm a program coordinator with the coalition's Global Transitional Justice Initiative which works to support transitional justice processes by engaging local civil society organizations, survivors, and governments in a participatory, inclusive, and holistic manner. To help American sites learn from the work already being done around the world, we paired up US-based Sites of Conscience with Sites of Conscience members in Colombia, the Gambia, South Africa, and Sri Lanka, all countries that have or are currently undergoing transitional justice processes. In this episode, we're listening in on a conversation between Fatou Balde and Dr. Amber Johnson. Fatou is a scholar and an activist from The Gambia whose work addresses sexual and gender-based violence, with a particular emphasis on female genital mutilation. In addition to her work with The Gambia's Truth, Reconciliation and Reparations Commission, Fatou founded WOL, Women in Liberation and Leadership, an NGO that provides safe and anonymous platforms for victims and survivors of the 22-year Jami dictatorship so that they can share their stories and receive psychosocial support. Amber is an artist, activist, professor of communication and social justice, and the creator of The Justice Fleet, a mobile social justice museum in the US. Their forthcoming book, A Great Inheritance, uses memoirs to highlight healthy forms of love and support for trans and non-binary folks, alongside young adult fiction to speculate on gender futurity as a site of liberation. Amber begins this conversation by sharing the context of their own transitional justice work. Racism is a public health crisis, and it's time we talk about health inequities, how they manifest in our lived experiences, and what steps we can take to begin dismantling health inequity and heal from its effects. For instance, between 2007 and 2016, Black, Native, and Alaska Native birthers were two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white birthers, and this disparity increases with age. Black people had higher death rates than white people for all-cause mortality in all age groups less than 65 years between 1999 and 2015. Black, Native, Alaska Native, and Latino women were more often diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer than white and Asian or Pacific Islander women, which was tied directly to a lack of health insurance. There's a 35-year gap in life expectancy between Black and white people living within three miles of each other in the city I currently live in. And if that's not enough, 
Racial health disparities are estimated to cost the United States $175 billion in lost life years and $135 billion per year in excess healthcare costs and untapped productivity. We need to talk about health equity and how to help people heal from the traumas associated with them. So how do we help people heal from these traumas? For me, it starts with art, play, and dialogue. I am Dr. Amber Johnson, Interim Vice President of Diversity and Innovative Community Engagement, Professor of Communication, Co-Founder of the Institute for Healing Justice and Equity, and Founding Director of the Justice Fleet at St. Louis University. The Justice Fleet is a mobile social justice museum that fosters healing through art, dialogue, and play. And today, I am joined by Fatu Balde, who uses similar approaches to heal and promote wholeness in community following systemic injustice, community violence, and interpersonal violence in the Gambia. Fatu, welcome. Can you tell our audience about how you found your way to this work, what transitional justice and truth and reconciliation mean to you, and how this work develops in the Gambia? When I was eight years old, my family took me through a traditional and cultural practice called female genital mutilation. I never questioned this practice at the time because one, I was young and it was a practice that everybody around me uh, had to go through as a woman, as a young girl. So later on, when I was older and I went to university, I realized that this practice cannot be right. The cutting of the genitals of young girls cannot be right, despite any justification that is given. Um, this realization made me go into research to find out more about how FGM affects women and girls. And since then, I have been, been an advocate against female genital mutilation. And that is how I started uh, my activism and fighting for women's rights and gender equality. Historically, uh, the Gambia has very deeply rooted sociocultural practices that affect women and girls. Because of these practices, such as female genital mutilation and early marriage, women are very much disadvantaged. So you end up seeing so many women who do not complete their education, which leaves us with a high illiteracy level among women. And these have a lot of consequences uh, uh, as into how women participate, for instance, in decision-making, access to health, access to other equal opportunities. We also have many laws, uh, draconian laws, that discriminate women and vulnerable groups. And because of that, even though in our constitution, it says that everybody must be treated equally, we also have these laws that affects women's rights, so which uh, poses a big problem for the advancement of women and girls in the Gambia. Thank you for that, Fatu. What it sounds like is we have policies, we have laws in place to create some of our most marginalized and vulnerable citizens. In the case of the Gambia, we are talking about women. But when those who implement those don't take into account the historical discrimination and those draconian laws you mentioned, they still are able to perpetuate those injustices. So as an advocate for justice, can you share some of those historical and contemporary issues that impact the Gambia and how that influences your work? The Gambia went through 22 years of dictatorship under former President Yaya Jame. 
And during his time, um, a lot of people disappeared. People were tortured. People were murdered. People were raped. Sexual violence was widespread across the country. Now, when Jame left, the Gambia embarked on a transitional justice process. Having been uh, working with women around the country, I knew from the beginning that unless we did extra work, unless we put in extra measures, the stories of women and girls during Jame's 22 years of dictatorship risk being not known. Because in our society, issues that affect women are usually not given the attention they deserve. And because of that, from the beginning of the, the transitional justice, uh, particularly the Truth Commission, we, we've been going through a Truth Reconciliation and Reparations Commission. Since it started, I have been on this journey to make sure that the stories of women during Jame's period are heard and that their experiences are acknowledged. And from that time, I have been working on, on the Gambia's Truth Commission. Wow. When, you, when you're thinking about 22 years of a dictatorship and not having access to the truth, I can see why truth-telling is so important to your work. We know that truth-telling and transitional justice are making massive strides in our pursuit of justice and health equity. Can you now share how you utilize truth and transitional justice in your specific work in the Gambia? It's been a difficult ride. I saw where women who were brave enough to come out to share their stories, they were not believed, they were ridiculed, they were re-traumatized, especially when they talked about their experience of sexual violence. They were asked what were they wearing, why were they at the place that they were raped or detained, what were they doing there? Because in our society, that's not a place for women. So because of that, a lot of other women who had experienced human rights violation were scared to come out because of how society will treat them. Wow. I, it's, I want to say that it's hard to imagine women not wanting to express uh, things that have happened to them because of their fear for how society will treat them. But we know that that is the case around our globe. So what are some of the moments in that make you hopeful in carrying out your work? One of the things that have really given me hope through this whole process is that we have broken the culture of silence around sexual and gender-based violence. The Truth Commission opened the conversation for people to openly talk about the frequent occurrence of sexual and gender-based violence within Gambian societies. And that has been a great uh, achievement from the Gambia's transitional justice process. Wonderful. I'm happy to hear that, that breaking the silence is something that is happening and that people are more willing to openly talk about these occurrences of sexual and gender-based violence. You know, the issues that you've raised are truly global. What are some of the ways you see the work you do in the Gambia overlapping with other countries? Inequality towards women and girls is not just in the Gambia. We see it across the globe, although uh, the statistics will be different, the experiences will be different. But even if you look at developed countries and 
middle-income countries and low-income countries like uh, the Gambia, you still find that one thing women have in common is that they face a lot of challenges, they face a lot of discrimination, and they face a lot of violence. And that is something that overlaps within these countries and across the globe. So clearly there's a lot of overlap. How can other nations and places utilize your methods to achieve justice around gender and health inequity for our most marginalized community members? As women are often vulnerable and marginalized, they are more at risk of experiencing violence. They are more at risk of experiencing discrimination and access to justice, access to health, access to education, you name it. Because of their low status in society, this affects how they access basic human rights. So because we really wanted to make sure that the stories of women were heard and they really came out of the Truth Commission, we as an organization, I, I founded an organization called Women in Liberation and Leadership, Will, which is a women-led organization that is focused on community-led through telling and providing spaces for people to talk about sexual and gender-based violence and how this affects women, but how it also affects society as a whole. So because of the, that, we had, we had to develop strategies that worked for Gambian women, strategies that worked for Gambian communities. At, at our Truth Commission, we had hearings which were broadcasted on TV and radios. So we knew that for many women, the, the, the thought of anybody finding out they had experienced sexual violence will stop them from coming to the TRRC. So one of the methods that we used, we had listening circles where we organized a safe space where only women were allowed to come and sit down and talk about their experiences. And we didn't limit this just to the experiences of human rights violations during JAMES time. This uh, safe space was provided for women to talk about what it felt like to be a woman if they wanted, they could talk about how difficult it was to go to the market or how difficult it was taking their children to school or any issues that they felt was relevant for them that day. And providing these spaces gave women the confidence and safety to share their experience in a non-judgmental environment where they didn't have to be recorded, where they didn't have to... Uh, even give their names if they wanted to. And that really gave a lot of women the confidence to come uh, and talk because we knew that we already had, for instance, in Gambian society, when you bring men and women together, often only the men speak and the women are quiet. So we knew that if we really wanted to have women to feel comfortable to talk, we needed to provide them with that safe space where they were just among themselves and feel like women and they could share whatever they wanted to. And because of that, we have come a, a, a long way. And this not only helped women to share, it, women reported that it was very therapeutic for them. It, it became like a, 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 a space to, to also receive psychosocial support because 
uh, women often reported back that they realized that the effects or the, the, the experiences they were having were not just individualized. They, it wasn't just affecting them, that it affected all the women. And I think for a lot of women, getting that acknowledgement meant a lot to them because th- some of them worried that, oh, this is only happening to me. But hearing other women recounting or sharing similar stories that a lot of women said was empowering and encouraged them to share. Through these spaces, we also talked about women's rights and gender equality. We talked about the laws that are in place to protect women because we found that in most of our communities, women didn't even know some of these laws existed or what their rights were. So having these spaces, we also incorporated that so that women realize that they have rights and that they can go and, and, and ask for these rights if they were not given to them. And, and I think that was, a, that was also another success that we had. Through this approach, it also meant that we were addressing the root causes of violence because, you know, uh, violence doesn't occur on, in a vacuum. Violence doesn't occur in a vacuum. Usually there are underlying uh, factors that made it possible for those violations to occur. So for us, it was important for us to talk about, to acknowledge the things that made it possible for Jame to violate the rights of Gambians for 22 years. And we were just watching him. There were reasons that made it possible. So when we have these safe spaces, when we go out in the communities, we make sure we talked about those factors. We talked about those issues that affected our society that uh, made it possible for violence against women and girls to be so condoned. We, we talked about, for instance, female genital mutilation. Why was the cutting of girls so normalized until today? And at this moment, even though we have a law that bans female genital mutilation, the law is not enacted and girls continue to suffer this human rights violation, which leaves women and girls with so many consequences. So we talked about those issues. We talked about the the impact of child marriage when you remove a, a child from school and get them to be married at the age of 12 or 14, which is very prevalent within our our society. We talk about those issues. Thank you for that. That was a really thorough answer that really gets to the heart of why transitional justice is so important right now. So what does transitional justice mean to you specifically? For me, TJ means looking back to undo the wrongs that exist within societies that contributes to inequality and the abuse of power. And TJ, for me, again, is a a method to advance. It can be a vehicle that can be used to advance the rights of women, especially, but also to promote and protect women's rights. Because if we are looking back, historical wrongdoings, you will see that women are always disproportionately affected. So by undoing those wrongs, by addressing those root causes of violence, I believe we can improve the status of women and girls. As a method then that we should advance, what can transitional justice processes provide for everyday people? The challenge is TJ 
processes do not provide for everybody, but they are a start. For instance, in the Gambia, so many things happened. And if we didn't go through the TJ process, we wouldn't have known for definite what happened to so many people, so many people who were murdered, so many people who, who were disappeared, and their families didn't know what was going on. It also made us, TJ also made us realize how bad our society can be. It made us talk, acknowledge how our actions, how our norms and practices and beliefs also negatively affect our people, which impacts the development of our country. So whilst it cannot provide for everybody, it cannot address the problems for everyone, but I believe TJ is a, is a huge stepping stone towards achieving um, equity, towards advancing gender equality, towards fairness. Thank you so much for that. And for my last question, what advice do you have for anybody who wants to embark on a transitional justice initiative? For us, even though like when we developed these safe spaces, our listening circles, they were intended for truth-telling around Jamis' 22 years of dictatorship. But once we started this whole process, we realized that this methodology could be used for, for any issue, uh, be it health inequality, be it uh, education, be it domestic violence, because it was a safe space where you open up a conversation, where people can share what it feels like to be in their position. The beauty of it is that it can be replicated in, in other countries. This methodology can be adopted in other environments as well. Thank you, Fatu, so much for joining us. Everything you've said today has been truly eye-opening and remarkable, and I really hope that people take your words and use them to make changes in their own communities. As we've already mentioned, these issues are global, and they aren't going anywhere if we don't stop and tell the truth. There's a wonderful quote by Polly Murray, if we want to heal, we must tell the truth. Thank you for telling that truth today, Fatu. Thank you. You've been listening to Transitional Justice in America, a podcast from the International Coalition of Sites of Conscience. Our guests on this episode were Fatu Balde and Dr. Amber Johnson. You can find out more about Fatu's work in the Gambia by visiting Women in Liberation and Leadership's Facebook page. To learn more about Amber's work, visit thejusticefleet.com or read our member profile of Amber and the Justice Fleet on the Sites of Conscience website. The International Coalition of Sites of Conscience is the only global network of historic sites, museums and memory initiatives dedicated to using past struggles to address social justice challenges today. This podcast draws on lessons from the Global Initiative for Justice, Truth and Reconciliation, which is a flagship project of the Coalition that seeks to support communities either in or emerging from conflict by elevating the voices of survivors and marginalized groups. For more information, visit sitesofconscience.org and gijtr.org. This podcast was written 
edited and produced by the team at Better Lemon Creative Audio. I've been your host, Parusha Naidu. Stay tuned for the next episode of Transitional Justice in America, a conversation between Nebuchadnezzar Marishane, Strategy Manager at Constitution Hill in Johannesburg, South Africa, and Faratanis, Founder and Lead Curator of the Museum of Women's Resistance in the U.S.